that property's not going up in value, it's going to call you one day and it's going to say, hey, I need ten, fifteen thousand dollars You're going to say, hey, man, you ain't giving me that much cash flow. He's going to say, I don't care. It's been 10 years. <laughs> you haven't done anything to me. Look at me. I'm neglected. I need some money. So if you buy an area that went down in value, you're going to have a hard time becoming wealthy in real estate. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today, Nate Barger. How you doing, Nate? Man, I'm doing awesome, Joe. How are you doing today, brother? Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm doing awesome too. Thanks for asking. A little bit about Nate. He is a full-time real estate investor. He's got 16 years experience. He's actively involved in multifamily and hotel investing. Although he's also got experience doing lease options on warehouses and buying office buildings. So he runs the gamut from a commercial real estate experience, but current focus is multifamily and hotels. So we're going to talk about that. He's based in Cincinnati, Ohio. So with that being said, Nate, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. Hey, Joe, thank you guys for tuning in and thank you for having me on, Joe. So my background really is, I started off, I grew up in a poor family, like a lot of millionaires. 88% of millionaires are self-made. 90% of them made their money in real estate, which fits me to a T. So I grew up in a normal blue collar alcoholic family. And by the time I was 14, I was sent away to military school. By the time I was 22, I'd been in and out of prison twice for selling drugs and had four felonies. So McDonald's wouldn't even give me a job. So I had to figure something out. So I went on and I continued to sell drugs and I was lost and didn't have any guidance at all till I was 29 years old. And I just was honestly saying I was really kind of depressed. And that's weird because if you look at my life from the outside looking in, it seemed that I had everything. I had money. I had a nightclub. I had cars, women, everything that you think would make you happy in the world. But I knew I was going to go to prison if I didn't stop doing what I was doing. So I cried out to God and he showed me real estate. And I met Mike Ealy, who is my partner and continue to do partnerships with. And that wasn't the end, though. You got to keep pushing, man. I probably had 20, 25 businesses where I just continued to fail in life. Wow. Just keep that's getting a, that's up. That's a lot of businesses. It was, but I was funding it with drug money. So it wasn't like I didn't want to sell drugs. It was all I knew. I never had a job in my life, except mm-hmm. I think I worked at rallies for two weeks and they said I wasn't a very good worker. Would you agree with that looking back on it? Well, yeah, I wasn't passionate about flipping burgers. You know, <laughs> I was passionate about eating burgers, but now flipping burgers, that wasn't me. So you, you know, and I share the same passion in that regard. So I got into real estate investing at the best time. It was 2005, 2006, and I got overextended pretty quickly. And I had a couple big warehouses with single asset tenants and Mike had kind of went his own way. I kind of went my own way. I was about 2006. But then about four years, I got up to 250 units and I had two large industrial buildings and I was bankrupt. So I had to learn really quick how to negotiate with banks, how to do short sales, how to buy mortgage notes, how to syndicate capital, because everything that I had, two options. I either go back to selling drugs, which I wasn't going to do, or I figure this thing out. And I had a family by that time. I had a wonderful wife who's still with me today. And Caden had to be four years old. 
So I had no choice but to succeed. I saw no other choice. Mm-hmm. You give up or you keep pushing. So, so this is around pushing. 2010 whenever you were bankrupt and you had the 250 yep. units in two large industrial buildings? Correct. correct. How old yeah. were you? I would have been 35. 35. All right. So mm-hmm. you're 35 mm-hmm. years old. This is six years after you had the epiphany where like, I'm depressed even though I've got, as you said, the nightclub, the money, the women, but drugs is the common thing among all of them. So I know my days are numbered in what I'm doing because eventually it's going to catch up to me again. So six years after that, you have acquired 250 units, two large industrial buildings, but you're bankrupt. Chapter seven bankrupt too. Not okay. Just what didn't remind was... me? What's chapter seven bankrupt? What's the? It means that your net worth is negative, pretty much. Okay, got it. What? It doesn't so... mean hey, you can restructure. Maybe you got some hope. It's like hey, man, we got to start over. Yeah. So it was there. Okay, and before we go into you negotiating with the banks and learning that the 250 units, how many buildings was that approximately? There were a lot of single family homes. I probably had 50 or 60 single family homes. I probably had 15 or 24 units. I had a couple larger buildings. The largest I had was a 41 and a 25. Mm-hmm. And then everything else was kind of in between. So okay. it was scattered site, 20 different locations, probably. Okay. And then no, it was more than that because I had 50 plus 20. I probably had 70 different sites. It was a lot. All around Cincinnati? Well, I had some in Northern Kentucky and I had some up in Dayton as well. So okay. I didn't, and then I had some out in Claremont County. So I didn't have a clear direction and clear path of what I was doing. I was just kind of buying. I didn't have any right. direction. Okay. So a little north of Cincinnati, a little south of Cincinnati and a little east of Cincinnati and then also Cincinnati. Correct. Uh, and the two industrial buildings, will you just describe each of those? Yep. So those were larger warehouses and I had triple net leases on them. But what I didn't understand back then was that your building is only as good as the leaseholder. And even though these guys had paid and consistently paid, they were small business owners. So they didn't have the capacity to make it through the cycle when their 30 and 60 and 90 day net accounts stopped paying them. They essentially didn't have any more money and they turned over the keys, but I couldn't go after them and say, Hey, I'm going to come after you. Well, come on. There's nothing there to get. Mm-hmm. And then there was also, I personally guaranteed all them because I didn't know at the time that there was any other option. I also renovated one and got it released and that tenant immediately defaulted after I put almost $200,000 in it to renovate it. So mm. there was nobody really back then to rent to. In Cincinnati, it was that bad in the, in the warehouse space. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the 250 units... I get what happened with the two large industrial. Those businesses couldn't support the rent and you personally guaranteed those. What happened with approximately the 250 units? What went wrong? Well, some of that was cross collateralized with one of the warehouses. Uh, And then I had what's called a Cognovit note, which you guys got to be real careful signing one of them. And I didn't know. I was so young at the time. And like I said, I didn't go to school. I just was kind of learning by taking knocks on the head. And we didn't have Joe Fairless to listen to back then and get any advice. So it was really hard well, to get information back then. You're about to teach me something. Say it again. What note is it? Cognovit, C-O-G-N-I-T-I-B. The way I found out that I no longer had control of my properties was tenants called and said, hey, Nate, there's some old white guy here saying these are his properties. And I said, I can assure you they're not his properties because I didn't go to court. I didn't get served any notice. The bank just put a receiver in place and took them right out from underneath me. They're only legal in several states, and Ohio was one of them. 
Hmm. Okay. So why were they in distress to begin with? Because they were cross-collateralized with the commercial. Oh, market. okay. Got it. What percent of the 250 would you estimate was cross-collateralized? Maybe 10 or 12%. Oh, so not a lot. So what, what happened to the other 88 to 90% of the units? Well, the values dropped significantly. So I became over-leveraged overnight. So I said, man, going through bankruptcy, these things aren't worth hanging on to. They weren't cash flowing? They were cash flowing, but it was to the point to where I could go out and buy cheaper mm. than what the amount of debt that I had on a lot of them. Okay. So we used that to come in and negotiate, and Mike helped me negotiate a lot of those. We came in and we did short sales with a bunch of them, and I still own a lot of them to this day because some of them I was able to get from the banks, get back for free because- when they were sending me this note, I think Bank of America sent me one. Who else? Maybe Chase, all the big guys that were taking over. And I went through the whole process. I learned about MERS, the Mortgage Electronic Registration System. And they were coming in saying, hey, Nate, you owe us XYZ money, and this is our house. And I said, prove it. So what happens is when they serve you, you have the opportunity to answer the complaint. And one of the things in the complaint that we answered really heavily was, prove the transfer of title and they couldn't prove it. So if they couldn't prove the transfer of title, they couldn't take these properties from me. Some of those properties I ended up getting back free and clear and the mortgages wiped off of them. I think four or five of them. Wow. Single families or what? Yeah, those were just single families. Okay. When you give up, you lose, right? When you continue to fight, you may get knocked down again. But if you keep getting up and you keep moving forward, eventually you will succeed as long as you learn from your mistakes. So my multifamily did really well. My single family hurt me though, because there weren't a lot of people that had money back then. And looking back on it, it's like, wow, how could that have been? But a lot of my properties were in low income areas. They were in Avondale, they were in Evanston, they were in the areas that you want to buy now, but they were in areas back then that we were just buying because they were cheap and you had great cash flow. We didn't understand appreciation. We didn't understand basic jobs. So we didn't understand any of that stuff. So we were just buying strictly cash flow. But what happened when them old houses went vacant, they weren't $2,000, $3,000 turnovers. They were five, $6,000 turnovers. And even when you turned them over, there was little demand for anybody to rent them. So that's what made me really understand that multifamily was much better, much more scalable, easier to keep full, and a much easier to maintain and do turnovers on. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. 
Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. When you're in a low income area and you have lower rent, but then you have a turnover, that turnover could be the similar cost compared to if you're in a higher income area. Similar cost, not the same, but Mm -hmm. you don't have the rents to support that turnover cost. So you could be in trouble there. Rents back then for 2,000 square foot, three bedrooms were 800 bucks, maybe 850. So you're 50 cents a foot, 40 cents a foot. What are those homes worth now that you own that you got back because the banks couldn't prove the transfer title? One of them's probably worth a buck 50. What'd you buy um, it for? Do you remember? I do. It was one of my first houses ever. I paid 4,000 for it. I put 34,000 in it. So I had 38,000 in it. It took me 38 days. And I learned hand on in that house joke because I was out there with the framers and I was nailing and figuring out how you do framing and measuring and everything. That's how I learned so much about construction. So when I got done with that house, I had 38,000 in it. I went and did what's called the Burr. It appraised at 95,000. And the bank, even back then when you were doing ninja loans, which is, you guys know what ninja loans are, right? Refresh memory. No income, no job, no assets. Ah, uh, yeah. They were just giving everybody loans out. So it appraised at 95000 The bank said, hey, we just saw that you just bought this thing a month and a half, two months ago, whatever. They said, we want to get a second opinion appraisal on it. And you're going to have to pay for it again. So I said, well, do we really have any options? And Cold Stream Mortgage, my buddy owned that, and they were doing a lot of mortgages at the time. So we got one and it appraised at 105, $10,000 higher two weeks later. Hmm. So I said, can I use that one? Since they made me pay for it. And they said, well, yeah. So they gave me 90,000 cash out. I think after fees, I walked away with about 86 grand. So I had the original 38,000 back plus another 50,000. I went on to buy more and buy more and buy more and buy more. And like I said, if you look at long-term trends on rents, rents have not really went down. Housing values may fluctuate, move a little bit, Mm -hmm. but rents typically do not move. So that's where I started to understand where I messed up was getting them single asset buildings with them investors that didn't have any credit back then. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the homes where the bank couldn't prove the transfer of title, correct? Correct. Why is that? Back in the early 90s, The banks, what they would do is they would take and they would bundle all these mortgages together and they would sell them. And so you would have a pool of 50 million and then they'd sell to a pool. It'd be in 150 million and a half a billion. It would transfer four or five times in a week. Well, they still do that, don't they? I'm sure they probably do, but they probably had a paperwork in order now. Okay. So what they were doing is they were jumping and they weren't transferring from this buyer to this buyer to this buyer to this buyer. So there was no paperwork to show the proper transfer. Then let's just use Countrywide. Countrywide was a big bank back then. You guys remember them? Oh, yeah. Countrywide died. 
So they came back to Countrywide and they said, hey, Countrywide, look, we need you to sign this paper. You never signed it over. And since they did not record it at the recorder's office like they were supposed to, because it would have took forever, because the government takes two, three weeks to do something, they created what was called MERS, which is Mortgage Electronic Registration System. And they just kind of internally kept track of everything. But that system was good for them. But when you go to court, you say, hey, I want to see the transfer of title. So countrywide, what they started doing was forging this stuff. They were doing what's called robo signing. They were hiring people for $10 an hour to sign it. And they got busted. It all got torn apart. And there were big lawsuits because they were forging documents and taking and presenting these documents in front of court, basically lying and saying that, hey, here's the transfer. The transfer date was after the day that countrywide died. So how like they <laughs> right. died, they died right. in 2010 and this is signed in 2012. Like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And so it was, it, it got torn apart and there was so much pressure on them. I remember one time I went in front of the magistrate or the judge and the attorneys, when we asked him for proof, he said, well, your honor, this is the way that we've been doing it for years. And the magistrate, so just because you've been doing it that way for years and getting away with it doesn't mean it's legal. That was their defense. They had no defense to say, hey, here's how we know we own the property. Yeah, I've been doing it for years. Wouldn't have flied when you were talking to the judge about drug stuff, right? Like, I've been dealing for years and no one said anything. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Hey, Joe, I got something for your viewers, man. What was that the guy told me, man? You guys all have problems with contractors. If you've done any amount of renovation. And I come in and I was telling them, hey, that's not the proper way to do it. And he said, well, I've been doing it this way for 20 years. I said, well, look, man, before you retire, we're going to make sure you do it at least one time right. And <laughs> he got wanted to fight me, man. I think, you know, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a big guy. I'm like 6'3", six, 6'4", three, six, 300 pounds. So when he stood up, he's like right here and he's like, he's like you know, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm I was good. laughing because I thought it was funny, but he didn't, he didn't think it was a good joke. Let's segue to hotels right now. So you all currently control, not just hotels, but you all currently control over $100 million worth of assets under management, and that includes apartments and hotels. Is that accurate? Correct. Okay. Four hotels, a Hilton, a Marriott, and what else? Two Hyatts, and then we got another Hilton. We're building a Hilton down in Sarasota, which that's about $70, $80 million project right there. And, oh, we have an IHG we're buying, which is a stay bridge. Let's just talk about the one in Sarasota. I'm just picking it out of the air. Mm-hmm. You said it's about a $70, $80 million project, right? In Sarasota. Correct. And you're building mm-hmm. a hotel, right? It's going to be some retail on the bottom, three floors of parking. It's going to have a 128-room hotel and 51 condos. Okay. What is your specific role in this project? Mike's partner. So Mike's putting the deal together. We got it under contract. We already got the land under contract. It's about 20,000 square feet, $6.4 million, so expensive. Less than a half an acre for 6.4 million, but we can go up 180 feet. So my role will be to help with the construction management, GC, oversee costs, oversee dates, deadlines, make sure the processes and procedures are being followed, syndicate capital, find debt. It's kind of the back end and on the normal operations. I'll be actually overseeing the construction managers and the general contractors. Do you guys have a local partner who's doing the actual development? So we got crews that we are partnering with that come out of Bolivia to keep our labor costs way down. We partnered with a guy that's built 2040s. He's went vertical. So we're going vertical about 180 feet. We're going to use him with the local GC out of Florida to get the job done. And then some of the stuff that we need to bring in, 
one of our friends out of Atlanta that has their own millwork. And then we'll go over to China and purchase a bunch of the stuff as well in bulk and get the containers over there to save on material costs. So on the general partnership side, are any of those groups general partners with you or are they vendors and contractors? So me and Mike will be the general partners and then we'll decide as we go along, we got another partner, Paul, that we knows in, which he is part of our hospitality hotel group, him and his partner, Brian, and our partner, Dan, out of California. But so me and Mike will be putting most of it together and we'll bring in strategically and put together the GP team together and and LP team. So have you purchased the land? We're under contract on the land. And we've been on a contract for about four months. We're city approval on the drawings. Uh-huh. Okay. So we're pretty far along in the process. Mike is actually flying down there next Wednesday to meet with Hilton. I imagine the upfront costs could be expensive if you don't structure the contract the right way. So it's a $6.4 million purchase on about a half acre, right? Correct. Are you closing on the 6.4 anytime soon? Or what we'll do is we'll bring that into the construction, the perm loan. And then I think we got to bring 18 million for this project. Okay. That's a lot of money. It is, but it's Sarasota. Okay. So yeah, 18 million is a lot. I come from a blue collar family. So 18 million is a lot of money. Yeah. Has your dad made 18 million? Pesos. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were about to say. <laughs> no, he's a my... railroad. He was a railroader, man. No, okay. Has... No, I thought you were about to say. I was going to say a I... million. I don't know if he's made a million, but oh, I guess he's yeah. made a million. So. Well, okay. So you said it's 18 million, but it's Sarasota, which that leads me to believe that you're getting investors from Sarasota. Is that why you said that? Everybody wants to invest in Florida. Sarasota is okay. one of the hottest markets right now. Okay. But the way that we will probably do that deal, to be honest with you, We always look for a strategic way to do things. So we got 51 condos. What we'll probably do is pre-sell a nice portion of them to get part of the down payment. And then we can accelerate our returns to our investors based off the amount of capital that we got to bring. So they're going to be condominiums, not a hotel? Got a 128-room hotel and 51 condos, some retail and parking. Got it. Okay. So it's going up 18 floors. Okay. So I think the hotel is going to take four or maybe five floors. What's the thought process behind the ratio of how many condos versus hotel rooms when you construct something? So down there, you got to go to the local authorities and you got to figure out how many rooms they're going to let you have based off your density. Cause it would be better to do them all in condos. That's the yeah. highest and best use. Right. The problem is, then you have to do all this parking. So if you don't mix the building up, then you got to do like the bottom four floors in parking. So you're losing already four or five of your 18 floors. Got it. What an algorithm that must be when you're trying to figure out the highest and best use while factoring in the loss of units if you increase parking. Mm-hmm. That seems like that would be the role of a spreadsheet well, Mike did that. that out. Yeah. I'm very good with math too, but to be honest with you, this is Mike's project. He said, mm-hmm. Nate, I want to do this down here. And anything that we do, we both got to agree on. Mm-hmm. So I was a little hesitant outside my comfort zone. We've never went vertical. We've done everything else that we said we were going to do. And this was the last thing that Mike said he wanted to do when he developed a, he has this cartoonish looking thing he drew out in 2001 and it's called the blueprint. After hotels, you go vertical, you're doing high rises. So this is the last part of that. 
And so I had to get comfortable with it. And I had to fly down there and I'd say, man, $6 million for a half an acre. Are you nuts? Mm -hmm. Then I got down there and I saw it. And one of my neighbors lives over there on Bird Key. And they're paying two to three million for a residential lot and tearing the house down and building the house back. And I was like, whoa, we got a deal. That's cheap because we're talking quarter acre lots over there. They're paying two, three million and tearing them down. Just residential. This one, we can go up 180 feet. What are the risks to you as a general partner with this project? Well, not getting the construction done. Looking at the market, I don't think we too much have to worry about Sarasota's market tanking. We're going to be in it so cheap. I think resale, we can resell conservatively 600 a foot. We're going to be all in under $300 a foot. So I think construction is the biggest piece because we haven't done anything like this before. So we got to bring some really good experts around and make sure that we have the right people that have built tons of these and know how to do them in and out. But like the biggest problem in any project is that when you come into a problem, it's not coming up with the solution very quick. You have to come up with solutions because there will be a lot of problems on this project, but we will solve them swiftly and we will keep the project moving forward. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you manage your own rental properties? If you do, or if you're about to, I want to tell you about Rent Ready because I'm guessing they have some services that you wish you had. Rent Ready is a property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. With Rent Ready, you're able to collect rent online and get paid, find the perfect tenant with the built-in screening and listing service, and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using Rent Ready's app too. They can pay rent using the card, ACH, cash. They can set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it. And they can even build their credit score through Rent Ready's new credit reporting feature. And the best part? Rent Ready is unlimited. That's right. All this is flat priced. There's no tricks or hidden fees. Rent Ready is designed for investors who manage their own properties so that you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And Rent Ready has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the best ever listeners. You can get Rent Ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks at rentready.com when you use our special code BESTEVER. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with the code B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R at rentready.com to get Rent Ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks. Did you know that credit checks miss 85% of the information landlords and property managers need to verify new tenants? That's a problem. The solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a platform that allows you to instantly access prospective tenants' financial information and compiles it all into a quick and easy-to-read report to help you select the highest quality tenants. You can access income, payroll, past rent payments, non-sufficient funds, and overdraft history all in one place. Rentify's reports instantly verify the full financial picture of the tenant So there's no chance of being duped with false information. No one likes to be duped. And the best part is that you can have it all at your fingertips in as little as five minutes. Go check out Rentify at TrustRentify.com and stop wasting time and start fast-tracking the tenant screening process with confidence and ease. With Rentify, you'll no longer have to waste hours or even days collecting all the information you need to verify a tenant 
which makes life easier for you and your applicants. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first purchase. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com and put in the promo code FAIRLESS. That's my last name, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first purchase. How comfortable are you solving those problems swiftly being in Cincinnati, given that this is in Florida? Well, I can jump on a plane and be down there any day. And I probably will. We're looking to move to Florida too, me and my wife and kids. So mm-hmm. we'll keep our house up here, but we're looking to go down to Florida as well. So we'll evaluate and we'll look at every last little thing. And you say, okay, this one here, I'm not comfortable with. How do we shift the liability on this? Can we get a bond? Can we get insurance to cover this? So those are the type of decisions that you got to make when you're the GP. I'm going to transition slightly here, but still talk about hotels. Okay, hypothetical scenario. You have an opportunity to buy a 100-unit multifamily building or a 100-room hotel, same desirable area. Which one do you choose and why? Well, okay, so desirable area, but then you have to look at your competitive set. You have to look at inventory that's going to be coming online with new building permits. You got to look at your basic jobs. What's driving hotels? versus what's driving the apartments. You got to look at how much appreciation you think you're going to have. Are the hotels oversaturated? Are there a bunch of old dated hotels? How old is a hotel? How long of a flag are we going to get? There's a lot of analysis you got to do before you can come up with a solidified answer for that. But ultimately, a 100-room hotel is going to probably bring in four times as much revenue and be much more easier to manage and much more scalable. Why? Because you can go hire a GM to run it for $80,000 a year. You can't go hire $80,000 a year property manager to run your 100-room apartments. And your apartments take up more square footage than your hotel. So you're managing actually a bigger footprint. You got more maintenance problems. It's more dated most of the time. If you're talking about a newer one, then both being comparable newer, I'd have to run the numbers to see which one's more profitable, which one gives us a better internal rate of return, which one has less risk for our investors. Mm-hmm. So you said four times more revenue, so four times more income generated is the hotel, all things being equal. But what about expenses? Are the expenses four times greater than apartments, or how do we think about that? So average, multifamily, let's just say you got $1,000 in rent. You got 100 units, you got $100,000 coming in. That's $1.2 million a year. On that, you're probably going to have five to $6,000 per unit in expenses before your debt service. So you're going to bring in about five, $600,000 NOI, right? Yep. So on a hotel, you're going to bring in about 30 to 37% bottom line. So the expenses are a little bit higher, but the revenue is much higher. Hmm. And that 30 to 37, you could even go as high as 45 on an extended stay because you, you have some efficiencies in the extended stay model that you don't have as much housekeeping. The people are more living there. So you don't have as much marketing. There's a lot of stuff that you can save on. But let's say it's a Courtyard Marriott. You should be bringing 32% to the bottom line, 100-room hotel. Let me just do some quick math here. So let's say that your average daily rate is, let's say, $105. It's probably a little low. That's 10500 times 365. That's going to give you 3.83 versus your 1.2. And we didn't do any vacancy on that one. But let's just say this one here, let's say we're running a 70% occupancy. So that's going to give you 2.68 times, let's say 0.32, 32% to the bottom line. 
That's an $858,480 NOI. That thing is a lot easier to run in that apartment complex, though, for the most part, and a lot more scalable. Honestly, our plan is to probably buy, I know it sounds ambitious, but a billion dollars worth of hotels over the next three to five years. I was talking to one of my partners last night. He was with Ken McElroy and George Gammon and Robert Kiyosaki over the weekend. And he was talking about building all these multifamily. I said, man, I just don't really know if I want to do that. So we got to further that discussion because I'm really, right now, hotels are half price. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, they're half price. If you want to hear, you want to hear one we're picking up right now? Yeah. So we got two right now, 145 room. It's a stay bridge, which is really nice, really nice. It's in a really nice part of Indianapolis. And then we got another one. It's in a tertiary market on the outskirts of Louisville. It's a Hampton Inn. Those are worth about 30 to $32 million. The guy owes 13 point something million on him. He was going to give him back. He's 80 something years old, very wealthy guy. COVID, he defaulted on the payments because it was non-recourse debt. We stepped in and we said, hey, man, instead of you handing these back because we got his information from the servicer, we have a relationship with the CMBS servicer. I was going to ask hey, you how you heard about it. Yep. So okay. they called us and we've got some other hotels off of them. And they said, hey, why don't you call this guy and see if he wants to work something out? We really don't want the loan to go bad. So we called him up and we said, hey, we'll come in. We'll catch up the back payments. We'll bring another 600000 for the renovation. On the one, the other one had a full renovation with another 15-year franchise agreement. So there was no major PIP. Now, if we would have bought the thing, there would have been some PIPs. What that is, is a property improvement program that is initiated by all your major brands. So the way we got around that was by coming in and saying, hey, we're not really buying it. We're coming in as a partner. We're bringing capital. And the brands, they're getting beat down. Marriott and Hilton, they're all smart. They don't want the hotels to go down. They want just good operations. And so they know our operational partners, which they have about $2 billion worth of hotel. They've been in the business forever. So partnering with the right people, we didn't have to do hotels for 40 years to get those connections because we partner with the right people. And when you say operational partners, that's basically property management? Well, what we did was we went to the property management company and we talked with the president and vice president and we formed me. Mike and them form what's called the hospitality group. That's our group now. So they're on a GP with us. So we took it a little step further than just saying, would you be the property managers? Hey, would you come in and partner with us? We want to grow this thing and grow it big. So on that deal right there, 13 million in debt, they're worth 30 to 35 million once the market recovers. And we have to raise, I think about 4 million for that. And that's a strategic way because typically $30 million project, you're going to have to raise 30, 35% on a deal like that. So you're able to get in for way less and you're able to enhance the returns. Hmm. Now, is there a little bit more risk associated with that? Maybe, maybe not. I feel like you can underwrite risk and we brought plenty of money moving forward to deal with the burn. But I think we got a plan to bring that thing pretty close to break even, maybe even making money as soon as we close. That's fascinating. I could ask you questions for a very long time. and Let's do it, Joe. Well, I can't though. We got to we gotta oh, roll. I know, I know. But I really enjoyed learning from you in this conversation. So thank you so much. I really enjoyed being on your show, Joe. Yeah. I'm going to ask you the money question. I always ask everyone on this show format. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I think your passion, do what you're passionate about, do what you enjoy. But if what you enjoy and what you're passionate about doesn't bring in any money, then buy some real estate and get some money, get some passive income, learn how to be vertically integrated, understand what the Burr process is, Because through the Burr, we Burr hotels now. We're doing the same thing that we started off in low-income areas. 
learn the burr process and learn where you need to be vertically integrated at learn where you're strong at where your strengths are where your weaknesses are and don't just buy cash flow cash flow is good but if that property is not going up in value it's going to call you one day and it's going to say hey i need ten, fifteen thousand dollars you're going to say hey man you ain't give me that much cash flow he's going to say i don't care it's been 10 years <laughs> you haven't done anything to me look at me i'm neglected i need some money so if you buy an area that went down in value you're going to have a hard time becoming wealthy in real estate Follow the basic jobs. Right. Well, we're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. All right. What deal have you lost the most amount of money on? I don't think I've ever lost money on a deal. The banks have, but I haven't. My investors haven't. What about the two industrial buildings? Did a cash out refi. I had all my cash back plus four or 500 grand. Really? So even those chapter seven bankruptcy, you didn't actually lose money on a deal? The values went down. So mm-hmm. let's say you had a value was 150000 and you owed 110 on it. And now next thing you know, the value is 70 or 80. Was probably a wiser decision to let them go. Now, I've lost time on deals before, but not money. What deal has made you the most money? Percentage-wise? Total dollars. Total dollars? I haven't cashed out on one. We got a 346 unit that we bought. Let's count to date. Not anything that could happen. To date, total dollars, what deals made you the most money? To date, I want to say $3 million off of a 97 unit that I bought back in 2013. The year I came out of bankruptcy, we sold that one and made about $3 million off of that. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? It's called BRRR Invest. It's my Facebook site. we got over 80,000 members. I like to go in there and show people that your circumstances do not determine your outcome. And I'm living proof of that. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I like to give back. I I got some local churches and organizations that I like to give back to, too. But it's really more high level. How can you impact a great amount of people? And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You mentioned the Facebook group. Do you have a website also? Yeah, NateBarger.com. And I got YouTube channels. I just started doing this in like February. So we're growing pretty quick. But man, if you guys could subscribe to my YouTube channel, if you want, join our Facebook group. It's BRRRR Invest. By the time this podcast come out, it'll probably be over 100,000 people in there. And there's a lot of great information in there. We got pretty much all the stuff that you think you have to deal with. We've already vetted lenders. We have all that stuff already in there for you guys. So you don't have to do a lot of the hard work, like what I had to learn, like what Joe had to learn, what we all had to learn to do throughout the years. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I've learned a lot from this conversation. Thank you, Nate, for being on the show. There's probably going to be a lot more hotel investors coming out of this conversation than there were previous to this conversation. You made a very strong argument for hotels over apartments when we did that comparison. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. Hey, thank you so much, Joe. I look forward to catching up with you sometime when you're in Cincinnati. And thank you guys for viewing in.